everyone thinks like big factory farms are bad, but they're putting right. a small farms out of business because it's so expensive to farm. It's much more profitable to rip out your orchard and sell the land as residential. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. She wants to continue her family's small orchard into the next generation. But it's not easy, as we hear this week from Anna Nicholson of Nicholson Orchards in Peshastan, Washington. She and her siblings are trying to continue on the operation into the fourth and fifth generations. But her dad is suffering from a horrible degenerative disease, and she explains how that's made things challenging, uh, even more challenging, uh, for continuing on the family farm. It's something that many family farms face, and particularly small family farms, and her story highlights what those pressures are here in Washington to keep small farms and family farms continuing in the current climate the current pressures, the current struggles that they face. And goodness knows, farming by itself isn't that easy, not to mention all the additional pressures that they have on them. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop. I'm your host. Thank you for joining me on this continuing journey I'm on around Washington State to get to know the real people behind our food Thank you to our sponsors, Washington Red Raspberries, supporting the podcast. We appreciate their support and the delicious fruit they produce here. Uh, Williams, powering uh, our clean energy future. They stepped up to help support our uh, sharing of stories of real food and people here in Washington. And Mana Insurance Group, new sponsor this season, uh, helping you plan your financial future and protect it. Of course, we know what insurance is about, but you need to go into things with a plan, and that's what they're about, trying to be prepared ahead of time rather than just picking up the pieces when things go wrong. Also, also Washington uh, Dairy Farmers uh, supporting the podcast. They are, are at wadairy.org. You should check it out because they've got a new online farm tour, virtual farm tour there that you can take and see what life is really like on a Washington dairy. Again, wadairy.org. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Now, here on the Real Food, Real People podcast, we connect with Anna Nicholson of Nicholson Orchards in Peshastan, Washington. Here we are in the orchard. What's going to happen? These trees have just been pruned, right? Which is kind of what the first thing that you guys do for the year in the orchard after coming out of winter? Yep. Uh, we start pruning in probably February when the snow is low enough that the guys can walk around. <laughs> um, if not, we'll drive snowmobiles up and down the rows to pack it down for them. Really? Yeah, if there's a lot of Pack snow. Pack the snow down so you can go out there and prune the trees? So you can get there, walk out there with wow. their ladders. Yeah. So how deep does, like right where we're sitting, how deep does the snow get here? This, when, when it's like a serious snow? I would say we usually would get like 10 feet. Last winter was really bad. Like 10 feet deep? Like 10 feet of snowfall. Oh, totally. Total. But what's the deepest it will ever get? Um, it'll be at least like four foot, probably packed out here. Wow. Yeah. So like we would be like under snow right now sitting here. Like it, it would it be would, like here. Yeah, it would be like this tall, like as tall as a table. <laughs> yeah. I, my favorite thing to do is take my dog out 
because she's high energy and yeah. we just cross country ski up and down the rows and she runs and nice. we, we love it it's my favorite thing to do after work because at that time of the year what else can you do on the farm right nothing <laughs> <laughs> watch it snow yeah i love the snow and all that snow is not bad for the trees Nope, they like it. They go mm. dormant, and it's fine for them. Until the blossoms start, then you don't want yeah. the freeze because that will kill the crop. So do they, I mean, is it actually good to have a good cold winter with lots of snow with these trees? Does that help them produce more? Yeah, I'm not sure if it helps them produce more, but they... I wouldn't say it probably matters that much because yeah. you have your warmer climates like towards Arondo where they don't get any snow. Mm -hmm. um, but the trees can handle it for sure. So in the wintertime, nothing to do, snow coming down, but you said go to or what you, you go cross-country skiing in the orchard after work. So you, mm -hmm. you don't just farm. What's your other job? So... Uh, the past couple winter seasons, I've been working in Leavenworth uh, for the ski hill, okay. doing their cross-country stuff. So, so you've really got to love the snow to do that. Yeah, You have a snow job. I have a snow job, and before that, I used to work at a resort in Leavenworth mm. where I did remove snow, and that was fun. Um, driving heavy machinery mm. and shoveling, I mean, eight hours a day. All day long. <laughs> I just shoveled. Yeah. Yeah, but I loved it. And so that's the way of farming, and I hear that from so many folks, too. It's like you can't just farm, and you're, farmers aren't just sitting back getting rich farming. Like No. You, ha you have to do other stuff to, to be able to keep the farm going, basically, right? Yeah, I have to. Uh, the fruit stand closes in November, and then I take the month to put everything to bed. And then I have to work because I, I need money. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, my season just ended. My I was done last week with the ski hill. So now I have the next couple months off where I'm just planting for my gardens and flowers. And then the fruit stand will open as soon as I get cherries in June. Awesome. So, yeah, what's the process now is, I mean, these trees around us are just starting to wake up. There's a lot of work that's got to get done before you can start picking fruit off of trees, right? Yes. Uh, we'll prune. They still have a couple weeks, I think, of pruning. Mm -hmm. um, they'll start flailing, which is where it's a implement behind the tractor that chops up really big branches like a mower, but it's more hardy. Yep. Um, and then we'll start spraying. Uh, we're supposed to spray next week. We'll probably do a helicopter spray first because okay. the ground's still too wet and we have like really steep hillside over there. So it's kind of dangerous. Yeah. Um, so we'll probably helicopter spray and then we'll start spraying with the tractor. And then after that, we'll just keep spraying every couple weeks and they'll mow the rows and maintain the irrigation and we just wait until august when we start harvest and but you do have cherries you said too so we only have like 20 cherry trees mm -hmm. um 
I buy a lot, like all the cherries for the fruit stand I buy in from just a farmer down the road. Yeah. Our trees, um, they were cool because they were certified organic. Mm. We're actually dropping our cert this year. Mm. So I was able to make a good chunk of change off of them because mm-hmm. no one around here offers certified organic cherries. Yeah, there's definitely a premium when you're selling an organic product. Yeah. Right? But we're not going to have it this year, so I'll still have the trees. Um, they don't produce that much to mm-hmm. make anything off of. No, last year I was up the road and over in Orondo. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier interviewing April Clayton over there, and they do organic apples, and they had organic cherries, but they had the same thing. They, the organic stuff that they had to use actually was bad for the trees, so yep. to keep the trees alive, they had to quit using that stuff. It's it, Yeah, it was kind of a surprising moment, I remember, in that conversation because it's the opposite of what people think about organic versus conventional and that sometimes conventional is lower impact mm-hmm. and better on things. Sometimes it's not. I mean, it, it totally depends, right? It depends in your area. Um, since we're pretty high elevation up here, we have... We had 10 acres that was certified organic. It was mostly golden delicious. And once my brother and his wife took over the orchard in about 2015, Mm -hmm. they were either breaking even or losing money on it. Mm. And they decided to rip it out, Um, which was hard. My dad started with the WSU organic program like back in 2000 when it was starting. So it was his baby, yeah. And it's hard for him to see us, yeah, quit it. Um, but we ripped out those trees, and that's when I got to start my gardens because I had all that space. Mm-hmm. And we still have a small chunk of pears that are organic. They do not do well, <laughs> and that's why we're stopping this year. The fruit's super small. It's mm-hmm. a lot of scylla, and the pickers. Don't like to pick it because of how sticky they get. Mm. So we have to pay them extra. So what's Scylla? That's a bug, right? It's a bug. It's a hard bug to get rid of. Yeah, and it's like a honey. Like when you pick, you get it just like covers you and you're dripping in it. And it's sticky like honey. From the bugs? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all over. It runs on the pears and on the leaves and the branches. So you have to pay the guys extra to pick it. And then you don't make money the warehouse because the fruit is smaller and it doesn't look good and so it's loose um i do have in the acres where the goldens were over the years my dad would plant he would like take out a tree and plant a different variety so i still have a few trees of probably about 12 different varieties That works great for me. Um, I can sell them at the fruit stand. I pick them myself. And it's been a great market to have certified organic, but I'm not going to this year. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, because it's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of work. And yeah, it's it's harder than people think sometimes, right? It's interesting (laughs) what people's perceptions are on the outside Mm -hmm. of a farm or an orchard like this. Yeah, a lot of customers at the fruit stand, um, they know me because I have organics. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be heartbreaking to tell them this year. Right. And then other people who will come in will be like, well, why 
why don't you do everything organic? Why not? Right. Like it's, it's yeah. really expensive. It's a long process. The mm-hmm. trees don't like it in our area. It's hard. Can't just become organic. Yeah. So talk about your family. Your family's been on this piece of ground for a long time, right? Yes. I'm fourth generation. My niece is fifth, the first fifth. That's awesome. Yes. Um, So. How old is she? She's six. (laughs) Is she a farmer girl? Does she she like getting out on the farm? She's a farm girl. Awesome. Loves riding her four wheelers, her horses. Yes. She works. She's homeschooled, so she works with mom on the every day out in the orchard. So what was your family story? How did they end up here four generations ago? Um, they came from Prince Edward Island after the war. Wow. World War One, I, I believe. Okay, yeah. And he was with the other growers in Peshastin that started mm. all these orchards. And they even started Bluebird, the warehouse, mm. where we still take our fruit today. So he was all part of that. And then my grandfather took over from him. And Mm -hmm. um, my grandpa fought in World War II as Mm. well. And then he took over for many years, and my dad farmed alongside him. My dad, he fought in the Vietnam War and then worked in Seattle for quite a few years in medical. He was a medic. Mm. Um, and then he married my mom over in Seattle <laughs> and they, they decided they wanted to come out back over here, get back to the farm life, get back to the farm life. They already had my brother and sister and my older sister, my two sisters and brother. And, um, they moved over here and then I was born as a surprise <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, my dad has ran the orchard, and then in about 2015, my brother and his wife took it over, and they're in the process of buying it from my parents. That's not an easy thing to do, make that transition. No. A lot of family farms go away at that point, because mm-hmm. even when everybody wants to keep it going, because it's so hard, right? It's really hard. It's not a moneymaker. We're very small. We're about... 40 acres or less so we're like a micro farm now right and yeah it's not it's not a money maker it's a passion for sure 40 acres or less i mean to some people that still sounds huge mm-hmm. right yes <laughs> so it, it's it's those different issues of scale that sometimes kind of break down in the conversation of how farming and and orchards and all that really work yeah, if you're not to make it happen. Yeah, if if you're not farming large scale, you're not really making a ton of profit. You're mm-hmm. just kind of surviving. At least in this area. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the challenges to passing on the farm? Why explain from your family's story, why is it so hard to do? Mm, my dad he loves the farm. Um, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's mm. quite a few years ago. And so we knew that we had to figure out the next step. Yeah. And my mom, she's had the fruit stand for over 20 years. Mm. 
Did she start it? She started it on the bed of a flatbed truck (laughs) and grew it up to what it is today. doesn't get any more legit than the bed of a flatbed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And um, she's over it. She wants to be done. She wants to travel. I wanted to get doing stuff with my dad while he still can. Right. Um, And so it's been hard because my dad, he doesn't want to let go. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to improve the farm which my brother and sister-in-law have made great improvements and we know you know what what's coming and from a younger generation we just we're trying to come with the new ways and he wants the (laughs) old ways (laughs) classic and so that's been a struggle in itself yeah for sure and uh, with the fruit stand, my mom has been great. I mean, I've completely changed it, and she loves it. And she helps me still, since I mostly do it all by myself. Awesome. I don't hire people. So she doesn't have to feel chained to it all all the time mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. So they can, her and my dad can go. We try to get them to leave, and they still don't. <laughs> Farmers always say that. I remember yep. with my grandpa. Interestingly, my my mom's dad actually suffers from Parkinson's as well. So mm-hmm. I have, you know, I know all too well how challenging that road can be to walk. Yes, and you know that was the same thing with my grandpa and grandma. You know, they they wanted to do things, but then when it came right down to it, it was hard for them to get away and. You know, and then time wastes away. And then suddenly, you know, you know, they're at a place now where they don't want to. They just want to stay put. You know, they don't have the energy to take that on. And all the different challenges that they face as it is every day is tough enough. Mm-hmm. So I totally get that on the like, get out and do it when you can. Don't, yeah. don't be too tied to the farm. They just need to <laughs> let you guys go and do it. They do. My <laughs> grandpa, he traveled everywhere um all over the world because my dad was running the farm but and my grandfather passed away from parkinson's as well Mm. um and he was out driving tractor when it was very scary Mm -hmm. (laughs) he should not have been out there and he couldn't let go either but at least he traveled and he got out but my dad hasn't so we're really pushing i had that experience with my grandpa yeah. years ago when he was still able to get around more than he can now but still you know he was shaky and you know mm-hmm. and i drove by their place which i own now but cool. they still lived there and he owned it then and he was up in the loader bucket of a tractor working on the roof of the garage <laughs> yeah and i i was about to ream on the brakes and turn around and get you know tell him get down from there and i mm-hmm. realized at that moment, just keep driving. That's what he wants to do. Yeah. You know? So there is an element <laughs> of that, too, where I, you know, knowing my grandpa, he'd rather do that and take the risk than have somebody tell him to be cooped up in the house and not at least puttering around his farm in his old yeah. age, you know? It's so... Yeah, I'm there's not the balance that nice. There. I, I was that way for a while, and now it. <laughs> It scares me, and yeah. I go out and yell at my dad <laughs> to stop. Well, it's <laughs> it's not easy because you want them to be able to do what they want to do, but it's hard to see them not be safe. You want to protect your family, right? Yep. Yeah, it's it can be scary. 
Totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you run the fruit stand. Explain what it is. Nicholson's Fresh or something. What, like, what's the official name of it? Nicholson's Orchard Fresh Fruit Stand. The corner of Highway 97 and Campbell Road if you're yes. looking for some <laughs> fresh fruit. So what, what do you all sell? How, how does it go? What, what's the season? Tell me how it works. So I open in June as soon as I get cherries. Sometimes Memorial Weekend, but... Mm-hmm. That's when it's a really early season. Um, I bring in cherries, which I get from a farmer down the road, or I'll get some from Quincy. I have friends in Quincy, too, Wenatchee. Um, and then we'll go into apricots. We don't grow apricots either, so I bring those in. And then we get into peaches. Mm. And we do have some peach trees that were also organic, which was a good seller. Yeah. But... Um, there's a guy who lives right up Campbell Road who grows the mm. best peaches, and I sell his peaches, and awesome. they're the best. And uh, we get in nectarines as well. We don't. We have a couple trees, but they they're yep. just for us. Um, and then it's apples and pears, and we grow all those, and I sell all those at the fruit stand. I pick them myself. Wow. Yep, um, all the That's apples. not easy work, especially if you're doing it all by yourself. It's rough. Um, yeah. yeah, I wake up early, try to pick for two, three hours before I have to go open the fruit stand. How early is early? Oh, six. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Six-ish. And then um, open the fruit stand by 10, work till 5, close the fruit stand, go back out and keep picking. And I'll do that wow. for about a month, so... This year, I need to hire someone so it doesn't, so I can just get it done in a week. So apples are your big deal here. Apples are popular. We grow mostly pears here. Mm. Um, just the few, just the there's probably seventy-ish apple trees, maybe less than that. Okay. Um, and then everything else we grow is pears. Okay. And what, like, what varieties or types of pears do you have? Mostly anjos and mixed in with Bartlett's, Mm -hmm. kind of as pollinators, so they're randomly all over the orchard. It's not like a certain section. How does that work? They have to like cross-pollinate to to set fruit? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. They just, the bees, well, we get the bees in April Mm -hmm. sometime. So you actually hire them out? Yep. Yep. Hire bees out and they'll come and yeah, the bees will do all the work pollinate the Bartlett's and the anjos buzz all around when are the, when do the bees leave then they're only here for about a week i think oh really yeah oh that's really short mm-hmm. it's not long and then they haul them over to us where we're doing berries on the yeah. west side my dad always gets bees for his everybody gets bees over there too mm-hmm. kind of mid-may though so it's a little bit later yeah we're definitely it's in april yeah it's just just a week Maybe two weeks. Not long at all. Um, yeah, so we have the anjos and the Bartlett's and the apples and then... What kinds of apples? Uh, you I said th- you had some goldens, but you had yes. to take those out. I kept two trees. Nice. So I still got two golden trees, early golds, um, some original red delicious, Fuji, Gala, Honeycrisp, mm. John of Gold, Gravenstein... Granny Smith, Macintosh, McCoon. 
Wow, you're um, listening to a lot of the classics there. <laughs> yeah. I like the Gravensteins. Mm-hmm. I've always loved Gravensteins, and they become less and less common all the time, it seems like. I have two trees, I think. Yeah. yeah. I love them for eating, but they're awesome for mm-hmm. baking, too. Yep. Like a pie with Gravenstein apples, in my opinion, that's like the best. Yeah, it's one of the first varieties I pick, and yeah, I just sell boxes of them right away. Yeah, I'm sure. want to bake. Yeah. Sauce. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm, yeah. That's making me hungry. <laughs> so with all of those different varieties, how do you keep track of it? Do you, are you able to kind of treat them all the same or, you know, how you have different time, you know, they probably ripen at all different times. Probably a lot of different stuff you have to keep track of with that many different varieties. Yeah, they do ripen at different times. So that's good for me to pick. Yeah, true. You know, start picking with the... Gravensteins, and then the last ones are the um, Granny Smith and the Pink Ladies, mm. which I keep for myself because they're my favorite. <laughs> um, and our head guy, Hill Spray, just the organic spray. Um, now that we ripped out most of the goldens, we're just giving those apple trees what we give the pear trees. Mm. So it's nothing special anymore. Right. Um, Yeah, and he prunes for me, and then that's all there is until it's time to pick. So much work, though, when you add it all up for a long time. Yeah. From, like, now through, when are you finally done? Like, when you close up the stand and call it a year? November 1st, usually, or the first weekend of November. So you got a lot of months ahead of you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not supposed to remind you of that right now. (laughs) You're supposed to think that at the end of the season. So how does it go at the stand? You you just kind of have to hang out there during the day and people come by and does it stay pretty busy? How do you like market yourself and stuff? Like I've always been intrigued by this because I've always wanted to have a stand like that. Yeah. Um, we just have a good following. It's, it's crazy to me. You know, we're on this stretch of highway in two miles, and there's three other fruit stands before mine, mm-hmm. which is it's just nuts when I think about it. <laughs> and there used to be two more. There was one wow. more and then one more up the road. And we're all, you know, we all compete with each other. Yep. And the one down the road is my cousin's even. <laughs> Competing <laughs> and, with family. Yeah. <laughs> and I just... I had a good thing with the organic. I sold to some restaurants in Leavenworth. Awesome, yeah. Um, like the resort I used to work at loved to take my fruit, and I try to market online, and I used to do the Leavenworth Farmer's Market, mm-hmm. which got me a good following there Yeah. Um, with organic as well. But I didn't do it last year. Um, it was the market changed because of COVID. Right. I didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. And so I was really worried last year because our highway was silent for months, mm-hmm. which was amazing. But <laughs> um, I thought I had no idea how the season would go. Your dad was probably feeling like this was what the road was like when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice on one hand, but on the other hand, you need people coming down the road to buy your fruit. Yes. And um, yeah, I was really worried. But it, it was such a busy summer, and I don't know awesome. if people were traveling and they didn't care. I yep. mean, everyone still came to Leavenworth. Yep. No one cares. Um, and Or if they just wanted to buy their f- food from the source. 
yeah. as well. I also launched a CSA last summer. Oh, wow. For the first time, and that went really well. And so that's What does it take to launch one of those? That's kind of a commitment because somebody's going to buy in ahead of time, and you're basically promising them a box of food every week or something like that, right? Yes. Um, I knew I could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was part of a CSA through the winter, and that was my first time doing it. Mm-hmm. Through the rhubarb market in Wenatchee. Okay. And I was we like... Had, do you know Sandy Bammer? Yeah. We had her on the podcast. Yeah, I heard it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so that was cool to get fresh fruit or food uh, through yeah. the winter. Yeah. And I was like, I, I need to do this. I can do it. And yeah. so I just kind of put it on Facebook and Instagram. And I was like, here we go, Leavenworth. I'm doing it. <laughs> and... Um, people signed up. I did it every two weeks. People would come and get their box and it was a lot. It was like over $40 of produce Mm -hmm. and it lasted a couple months. I don't remember how many weeks I did it, but I think I had like 20 people. Awesome. Yeah. So where, where do all these people come from? Like Wenatchee and Leavenworth mainly or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had some people, some neighbors up the road here, people in Leavenworth, and a few people from Wenatchee. What about the stand? Like, where do where are those people from? Are they mostly local too, or are people are, are there more people you know traveling through the area? Mostly people just driving by. Hmm. I do have a good local following. Yeah. Uh, some people that will come like once a week and get stuff, but everyday business is just people driving by but it's also a lot of people who come like they come to Leavenworth every year and so every year they're like we stop here because we love you and we love your fruit stand and so it's a lot of repeat customers but well Washington is famous for its tree fruit and especially (laughs) here in this area Wenatchee higher elevation you know I've talked with people on the podcast before why you know the various theories on why they think the fruit here is just something special and the best (laughs) yeah the elevation and the cycle of the seasons and the Mm -hmm. soils and there's so many factors that there are few places in the world that produce fruit like you folks are able to grow here so people Mm -hmm. come from far and what's the farthest away someone's come to your stand I guess you don't always know where they've come from but do they ever say? Um, it's usually just people you can tell like aren't from this country. Yeah. And they'll say, Oh, I'm coming from you know, China or India. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, it's my <laughs> first time travelers, here. Yeah. And they they all wanna come pick fruit and walk yeah. through the orchard and I have to tell them no. Yeah, you can't l- just let people into the trees, right? No, that is not allowed. <laughs> Why is that? Explain that. Um, it's a warehouse rule. Mm. Part of global gap and if you don't comply then you can get fined and your fruit can be rejected from the warehouse and you so can it's lose. like a food safety thing it's food safety yeah okay. so global gap that's all about food safety right like yeah gap is good agricultural practices mm-hmm. global meaning the standards in theory are supposed to be applied around the world the same way and i say in theory because i know there's a lot of concern about you know, outside of this country, are they, How you know, other places, are they really following those rules? But those yeah. are the kinds of things people don't realize. Oh, hey, we'll go out into the field. And it's like, no, nope. that's that's a food safe zone. <laughs> like you stay out of there. Yeah. Even 
like you're not supposed to allow dogs in the orchard unless they have a job. So all of our dogs work for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so it's like the, the big companies like Walmart that want this. And so if Bluebird wants to sell their fruit to Walmart, we have mm-hmm. to comply to the global gap. And if we don't, then our fruit can be rejected and yeah. we make no money. Even if your food is totally, the fruit that you grow is totally safe, but yeah. it's just because the rules that are there as a safeguard mm-hmm. weren't perfect. Or maybe even just the record keeping, because I know the record keeping for Global Gap can be huge too, a right? A lot of paperwork. You probably have like binders, <laughs> right? Yeah, my sister-in-law does all of that. Um, she is binders and piles and she's on top of it. And they, you have to like keep filing records like different times of the year and stuff like that too, right? To stay all, on top of yeah, it? all year long. And like, will people come out from the warehouse and check? I know we'll have that sometimes with, with um, berries over on the west side. You know, the buyers will even come and check and look around. And mostly they just want to see the, where the fruit's coming from. But are they checking for, oh, you know, did this one, you know, I saw a dog walk around that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we we get inspected at least once a year and we know when it's coming. Yeah. So it's not that bad. But if on the off chance someone was to drive by the fruit stand and see a bunch of people out in the orchard yeah, and they report it, then we're in big trouble. It's hard because in some ways it makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. and foodborne illness is a bad thing and there's lots of, you know, reasons why. But it never used to be this way. Yep. You know, I mean, what would your grandpa say if he were here now? Probably you know, say this is stupid. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, people picking apples and pears and stuff probably always had dogs with them and wildlife mm-hmm. would wander through the field and it was more kind of just life and natural. Yep. Now we're all scared of it. Yes. <laughs> have parties in the orchard, yeah. you know, coffee breaks. They're not supposed to eat their lunch in the orchard anymore and use the bathroom, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, can't drive in the orchard. Yep. Like, they would drive their cars up a row to get closer. Right. yeah. Can't do that. No big deal. Yeah. Not allowed. <laughs> That's why I kind of scratch my head sometimes when people are convinced that the food that's produced here in this country is super unsafe. I know. And it's like, okay, things happen time every, rarely once in a while. Mm-hmm. But nine times out of ten, even when that happens, you end up, you dig around, you find out that fruit probably didn't come from the U.S., right? Yeah. Everything in the U.S. is so safe. No matter what you eat, it's safe. And it drives me nuts seen like on social media people putting down agriculture in any kind of um you know dairy or yeah fruit vegetables it's it's all safe why do you think that is i mean like what do you hear from people what what do you think is going on with people who just don't know luckily i don't know personally anyone who puts down egg or you know, has these outrageous views, but yeah. the big people I follow on social media who love to advocate, which is great. Mm-hmm. And they just, and you can see in the comments, the people like their ignorance and yeah. it's so sad to me. And like cows, you know, contributing to global warming. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's so ridiculous. 
and even like back to these food safety rules and mm-hmm. all the different things, you know, a lot of people see something, they perceive that there's a problem or maybe somewhere else they think there's a problem. And so they want new rules and that applies to everybody and that add costs, adds costs. Yes. And then for a place like here, very small f- orchard, been in the family many years, you guys know what you're doing, haven't caused any problems, mm-hmm. but you have to comply. Like you're saying, you follow all these rules and they sound nice, but they're also expensive. Yes. <laughs> and then <laughs> it becomes really hard for especially the small farms like you folks, which everyone wants to keep going. Exactly. Everyone thinks like big factory farms are bad, but they're putting right. us small farms out of business because it's so expensive to farm. Right. Which, yeah, those rules end up giving the advantage to the big operations because they can just kind of soak it up, right? Mm-hmm. You guys can't soak up a big change. like Nope. It's just your family. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's hard. And we're going to... Um, we try to keep going for as long as we can. Um, I don't think we can get much bigger because a lot of the small farms around here they're being either ripped out or bought out Mm. by the bigger people. Mm -hmm. So there's not really opportunity to buy small chunks and expand Yeah, like close around us. Unless maybe we went. Which is the way a small operation has to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Just a little piece at a time and try to build the base. It's much more profitable to rip out your orchard and sell the land as residential in this area. Way more that sounds like where I come from yeah. in Western Washington. Mm-hmm. And we're losing farmland like crazy to residential development. Mm-hmm. People don't think about that as much in Eastern Washington, but it happens here too. Oh, yeah. We have a piece just down the road, down the highway, that my brother and his wife just purchased from mm-hmm. my parents. Yep. Um, but we were, my parents were considering ripping it out and selling it because it is worth a lot of money without any trees on it it's a prime location Mm -hmm. but luckily that didn't happen well and and it (laughs) seems like people have the sense that well you should just shouldn't do that you know and so a family like yours then ends up in a quandary because you have bills to pay Mm -hmm. you have a families multiple now to your parents you your brother and sister-in-law i don't know if others are involved in the farm everybody has to be supported by it yeah. Or s- somehow. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like, well, hey, uh, why don't you just not sell that for residential and keep farming? It's like, well, thanks. But then we're just, <laughs> you're like dooming us to perpetual poverty. Here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, what what can we do? Yeah, my, my brother works full time off the farm. He um, does body work on cars. Mm-hmm. So he has a... Does that year-round, full-time, and then my sister-in-law manages the day-to-day of the orchard, Um, you know, manages the crew, does all the paperwork, and my brother will work on all the equipment, you know, on his weekends after work, and then he takes time off for harvest, but that's how they make it work. It's not easy. Yeah. And the development thing is very scary to me, as I see more and more... I drive by houses and I'm like, I remember there used to be a strawberry field there, a hay field there, mm-hmm. potatoes, 
it's all houses now. And it's sad to me that that's happening here too. But like, look at what your family is facing. And I know this is what my family faced too. Well, if that land has some value and you know you have costs coming up in your life, like with your dad mm-hmm. dealing with Parkinson's, yep. it's like you have to plan ahead. What are you going to do? Exactly. And you may end up in a terrible situation where you don't want to, but you may have to sell land to be developed. Mm-hmm. And then people would want to shame you for that too, you know? Yep. <sighs> <laughs> Yeah, we actually just, uh, we're going to sell a chunk, a 10-acre chunk right over there um, to our head guy. Mm-hmm. And so he'll have a little chunk of trees and then a lot of the woods up on the hill. Yeah. But that was just to have some, some money coming in. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think about some of the stuff that's happening here in Washington State right now? More, I mean, we've been talking about the pressures already on farming. Mm-hmm. And there's more headed our way. Have you been following some of that stuff? Or do you have thoughts on any of that? Like the overtime yeah, stuff? Yeah, like that stuff. That would that would ruin us for sure. Really? Um, last year, we had to tell our guys, which we only have two guys that we keep going all summer, and then we bring mm-hmm. a crew in for harvest. How many people are in the crew when you're at the height of harvest? Oh, uh, we get like 10 to 13 guys. Yep. yep. A lot of return guys and then yep. we'll have some randoms from California or Yep. just traveling there and working. Yeah. But um yeah, we had to last year we cut his hours to 40, said sorry, you can't work more than 40 hours. Right now we're letting them. We'll see how it goes. And he gets paid more than minimum wage all the workers do. Yeah. We get paid more than minimum wage. So well, you you probably because it's hard to get workers, right? People who are good, so hard. Yeah, and you have to you have to up your pay because they say, yeah. "Well, this guy down the road's paying me sixteen dollars an hour, so you have to pay me sixteen dollars an hour." It's a competitive job market, mm-hmm. and so because of that, you have to basically pay as much as you can, right? As much as you can afford, and so farms yeah. are already doing that. Mm-hmm. And then if any hours worked over 40 now cost 50% more, yeah, that makes it that much harder. That's what I've been hearing from folks. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, okay, well, then you can't have your crew work that long because it's like we're already paying as much as we can afford. We can't afford anymore. So, okay, you know, people will just work 40s. What are the workers saying about that, though? And how did, you know, you said you've already had to do that and limit hours for some people. Yeah. They um, probably didn't like that, I would assume. Yeah, I don't think he was a fan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What did he say? He didn't say much. Um, He, I mean, he just, he works really hard and he kept working and he hasn't really said yay or nay about it. Yeah. But they, I mean, before last year, he worked a lot of hours, just whatever he wanted pretty much. Right, right. Yeah. So, and like Saturdays, now we don't. We don't let them work on the weekends anymore. <laughs> it's a shame because pe- people who are in it and been in it for a long time like it. Mm-hmm. Just like you can't get your parents to go away. You know, yeah. they want to travel, but they're <laughs> still around the farm. You know, they they like part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lifestyle. Yeah, our our guys are great. They've been one guy. He's been here my whole life. Um, he worked with my grandpa, and then wow. our our head guy. He's been here 
a long time too. I'm not sure how many years, but mm -hmm. at least 10 for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Obviously he must like his job here. He's yeah. still around all the time. <laughs> Cause like you're saying, there's probably plenty of other places he could go to if he wanted to. Yeah, he could. We also give them free housing. So they mm -hmm. live, those two guys live here on the farm as well. Yeah. So, what's going to happen this summer? Is it going to be a good harvest? Hope so. Um, last year was really good. Fruit looked good. And we came out, um, we had a little more bins in each section than the previous year, which is mm -hmm. always good. But yeah, for the fruit stand, um, so this year I'm changing it up. I'm growing flowers. Wow. Yes. What uh, kind of flowers are you growing? Um, all the flowers. <laughs> all of them. Yes. I'm going to right on. start a cut flower garden. Yeah. I did it last year. Just, I had two friends approach me in 2019 and ask me to do their weddings, mm. the flowers for their weddings. And I was nervous about it. <laughs> It's <laughs> a big commitment. Like, yeah. I don't want to mess up your wedding. Yeah, and I was like, well, sure, okay, I'll try. And um, one got postponed because of COVID. Right. And then the other one was a roller coaster. We didn't know if it was happening. Changing dates and stuff. Yes. Oh, yeah. And it ended up being in Idaho. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> so did you have to, like, cut all your flowers and truck them over there? Mm-hmm. Like, you grew them all? I grew them all. <sighs> put them in my parents airstream and we drove to sandpoint and uh wow yeah and then i did everything once we got there but i also uh, for my csa last year i also offered flower bouquets mm -hmm. and a handful of people did that and i just realized when i was working in my like vegetable garden every morning it's like i'd rather be over in the flowers <laughs> but i had to had to work in the veggies they needed yep. more attention and yep. i loved making bouquets and the wedding was fun it was really stressful but it was fun so much pressure right yeah it was it, i needed a helper but it's just <laughs> me and yep. my boyfriend was in the wedding so he was no help you're <laughs> <laughs> um, high and dry all by yourself <laughs> yep um but after that i um I was planning to take my CSA money and do like a master gardener's class online. Mm -hmm. And then I saw that Florette was offering a class and I thought about it for about a week. And I was like, I really want to do this. So I signed up for that and yep. I took that this winter and just finished up a couple weeks ago. Awesome. Yeah. So did you go over to their farm in Skagit County? No, it was all online. All on, oh, right, because yeah. COVID probably mm -hmm. they're having people onto the farm. Yeah, but awesome. It, I learned so much. It was it was so great. That's what I needed to do. Yeah. So this year will be. I'm not growing vegetables. I am like for myself, but that's not what I. What what veggies were you all growing? All of them, <laughs> tomatoes, beans, Oof. beets, radishes, kales. Um, cucumbers, all the summer squashes, winter squashes, pumpkins. Tried to have a pumpkin patch. Yeah. 
Vegetables are so much work, and people expect、mm-hmm. to pay so little for them. They do. I think that's where our current food system has brought people. Right, like they're、mm-hmm. used to going to Safeway, and it's super cheap. Yes, and, and like, these take a lot of work. How <laughs> how you make that pay? <laughs> they do, and、um, I certified it last year. I was able to because it was on the the land that was already certified. Organic, yeah. And so that was a plus, but it was so expensive. It was over six hundred dollars to become certified, and that、mm. just it doesn't make it worth it to me. When you're really small, yeah, yeah. I, and there's so many great vegetable farmers in this area. In Leavenworth and in Cashmere, that I already buy from for the fruit stand,、yep. and I was like, I don't love doing this, and I can buy their produce, so I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I've always wanted to grow veggies, honestly, too. Like I grow a little bit of a garden. I'm like, oh, I should make this bigger and start selling them. Like you,、mm-hmm. like I've said earlier, I'm jealous of your. Roadside stand because I always wanted a roadside stand since I was a young kid, and、yeah. secretly I still want one. <laughs> but but then I look at how much work it is, and I hear like your story、mm-hmm. and all the work that you do to make it go, and I'm like, yeah, maybe I couldn't do that. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I think that's what makes my stand cool and unique. So it's just me, and I'm out there picking and. Growing the veggies and growing the flowers and the other fruit stands—they're they're great too. Not saying anything bad about them, but、yep. they're not one-woman shows like this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, having grown up in tree fruit, fourth-generation fruit farmer, give us some、uh, tips on fruit trees. I don't know a ton about them. I know about <laughs> berries, mostly just raspberries. But generally, people who have、uh, an apple tree or a pear tree or a cherry tree, or I guess a peach tree—you guys have some of those too—in、mm-hmm. their backyard, what mistakes do they often make? Like, what what do you need to know to really take care of a tree? You have to prune them, and pruning. So if you if you don't prune them, do they not? They don't do as well. They'll like, produce kind of, less because、really? they're just focused on growing too many things.、Mm. Too many leaves, too many branches.、Yep. Um, they'll just get out of control, and you need to kind of spray them somehow. I know people don't like that, but they're going to get buggy if you don't. Yeah, whether it's conventional or organic, you got to、yeah. keep the bugs off of them. Yeah, and the only way to do that is spray. Yeah. What about blight? I know that can be a problem. Blight's an issue as well, and that. Um, you just have to keep your eye out for it, and if you find it, you have to cut it out right away. What does it look like when a tree has blight? Ah,、uh, it looks burnt,、mm-hmm. and the the leaves will be brown,、mm-hmm. and the wood will get brown and burnt looking.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just have to know how to spot it, and then just, cut that part of the tree off.、Mm-hmm. You have to cut it off, and you have to cut it off deep enough where it's not like inside the tree, and you can. And so it won't come back. Right. Yeah. It's all out. Yes. It will spread. And then how do you, yeah, make sure you get as much fruit as you can? And how do you know, like pollination time? Like you're talking about, you know, certain trees need pollinators, and if you just have a backyard tree, I guess there's not much you can do. 
How much you can do. Yeah. Uh, Plant plant pollinator things around it if you can. Mm -hmm. Maybe another tree if you can, or maybe some vegetables around the bottom or flowers that could help pollinate it. But yeah, just you have to control the pests. That's the big issue. Control the pests, go through harvest, and then wintertime, leave the tree alone until like late winter, early spring. That's when the pruning should happen. Yep. After you pick the tree, you can just leave it alone. Don't have to do anything to it. Some people around here spray a dormant spray. Mm -hmm. We don't, and it's fine. Um, Yeah, and then in the spring, before it starts budding, you want to prune it. Before the buds come out. Yes. Because if you wait until the buds come out and prune, what happens? Then you just, well, the tree, it kind of, it like takes away, its efforts go all over the place and you right. want it, its efforts to focus on the fruit, the fruit that yeah. it's going to produce for the season. Got it. Yes. Well, very good. <laughs> Thank you for having me out to the orchard here. This is the first time we've done the podcast actually in an orchard with the trees (laughs) i think that's awesome and it's really cool to be here right now with the trees i mean i think i'm seeing all little buds on the ends there is that what i'm seeing they're starting to come out like they're almost like they're totally dormant but they're just starting to wake up Mm -hmm. but you can hardly see it so we're basically seeing a whole season that's about to happen but hasn't started yet yes we'll be in full bloom probably in april yeah and awesome. it's, it's so pretty. If you can drive in this area during full bloom and see all the trees, it's amazing. Well, good luck with the stand. Thank you. And the orchard and everything. And we definitely appreciate you being willing to open up and share all the, all the nitty-gritty details of how it actually yeah. works. Thank you for coming. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 